Hey Seacoast, it's Josh Surratt. I'm in the beautiful Rocky Mountains in Castle Rock, Colorado for the launch of Front Range Christian Church with our very own Pastor Ernest Smith. You know, thanks so much for all of you that have prayed, that have supported, you've given through the next campaign. And today we get to experience the beginning, the launch of a brand new church that's going to transform this community. So we're excited. We're out here to support them. And we wanted you to be able to experience this launch as well. Ernest Smith here from Front Range Christian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. Uh, just We just finished up our very first launch service, and um, man, God did some amazing things. We had over 400 people show up, and a few people accepted Christ for the first time. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your investment in us as a family. Seacoast has invested in us for a long time. It's where I met Jesus. And but besides that, your, your investment now. Uh, your financial investment, your prayers, your encouragement. I've received so many text messages, phone calls, Facebook messages, just saying you're praying for us. And Seacoast, I want to say thank you. You're not only making a, a difference here in Castle Rock, but all over the world. And But from us here at Front Range, we want to say thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep allowing God to use you mightily. And keep allowing God to use you to impact not only Charleston and the rest of, uh, of the Southeast, but here in Colorado as well. So thank you, Seacoast. That's pretty cool. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. If you know anybody uh, in the Denver area, especially South Denver, Castle Rock, you need to tell them there's a little bit of seacoast coming their direction. And uh, this is our second week. We're excited about that. You know what else we're excited is that um, that white stuff they were shoveling, we don't have to shovel here. And so we're, we're very excited about that. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an offsite campus or on the internet. I know uh, last Two or three weeks I've been traveling, uh, literally all over the world. It feels like Nicaragua to um, uh, dedicate a hospital in Nicaragua that you guys helped pay for. And uh, was in Switzerland two weeks ago, spoke there. Uh, we're starting a church in Zurich in uh, just a, a few months. And uh, then was a, for a week spoke with, um, with a group of pastors uh, in London about church planting and good things. Met with Nikki Gumbel, the uh, 
the alpha guy and some cool things come in that direction. And so I was watching on the internet, just like a lot of you guys are, and it's great to be able to uh, join uh, with, with us here. Well, we're starting a new series, and uh, we're going to take a study of the book of Esther. I really am excited about it. It's going to be fun. Uh, before I do, I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you remember when you were a kid, how many of you had dreams of like being the hero, dreams of saving the day somehow? Did anybody else have those? Let me, let me see if you recognize what this is. What is this right here? Somebody said a beach towel. There you go. It's a cape, isn't it? Anybody ever, did you ever do, let me put this on. How does it work? It goes like this, I think, if I can remember right. Anybody, anybody, anybody ever wear one of these? Huh? A guy this morning admitted to wearing a pink cape. But uh, you, you wore one of those? You put one of those on? Yeah. How have you ever did something really stupid with one of these on? Tried to jump off of something that you shouldn't have jumped off. One guy last night was saying that he, he would yell Shazam or something, and, and he would fall when he, when he did it. That was Superman, super power, superhero, and I can remember I was going to save the day and get the bad guy, you know? You guys have dreams of that? Now, now, some of my dreams weren't so much about superpowers, they were just about my natural abilities. And uh, I, I don't know how many times, maybe a thousand times, I sunk the shot that won the NBA championship in my driveway. Surratt's got the ball. He's moving around. Three, two, one. Ah! Oh, he was fouled. You know, <laughs> shoot it again. <laughs> Anybody ever uh, do that kind of thing? Uh, you know, I, I, listen, I wrestled for the Olympic gold medal in my bedroom. Um, a lot of you don't know this, but I, I, I played at Woodstock in, in, my, in my garage I was, I was one of these guys, I grew up in Denver and went to Bear Creek High School, and we had our graduation at Red Rocks Amphitheater, which is this big amphitheater, Beatles played there, a lot of great bands played there, and um, I was one of the guys that at the graduation, I actually believed the things that the speakers were saying. We're going to change the world, it's going to be a better place because we were here, you know what I mean? Just these dreams of doing something great, of, of being a hero, you know, some of you Maybe it was different than that. Maybe it was the princess, you know. You, you like to put on the little princess dress and the tiara, and you're hoping someday to marry the prince, and some of you got the frog instead. But we're praying if you'll kiss him hard enough, he will become the prince. Or maybe for you it was, dis- to, you know, to discover the cure for cancer. We have, we have these dreams that are planted in our hearts. You know what? I think they are planted in our hearts. I think because they're so universal. I think they're God-given aspirations to work with him, to make a fallen world a better place. I really think that. For most of us, though, uh, the dreams get buried in a lifetime of reality. The reality of making a living, the reality of making a life, the reality of sometimes broken dreams and broken hearts and broken relationships, the reality of a constant drumbeat of routine and average rather than great. I think that's why the movies with bigger-than-life heroes are so popular. You know, Indiana Jones. How many times can Harrison Ford, you know, find the bad guy? And Harrison Ford is this college professor, kind of nerdy kind of guy that becomes a hero. And then, you know, regardless of what genre it is, maybe it's Batman, Wolverine, Iron Man, there will always be, Mario, there will always be a hero with superpowers. But you know what even makes it more, um, I don't know, uh, palatable or, or, or more 
um, it, it draws us in more, is when it's a real life person doing an heroic thing that has a backstory to it, a backstory of overcoming odds. That's why I'm watching the Olympics this week. To me, the event isn't as exciting as the story behind the event sometimes, where you've got a, a guy or a girl who overcomes these odds to uh, represent their, their country on this huge, huge stage. That resonates with us. And that's why the story of Esther resonates w- with me. We're going to be studying it for four weeks. We're going to take a hero's journey. And I want you to come along with me. I want you to be here um, all four weeks if you can uh, to just kind of take a hero's journey. It's, we're, we're calling it um, messy faith, finding your story in Esther, because the truth is sometimes it's a lot messier than it is in the comic books, you know, or the movies or, or, or whatever. But it's the story of a young girl who finds herself in an unlikely place, somewhat reluctantly becomes a hero to her people and saves the day, uh, not unlike our childhood dreams. And so we want you to find your story in Esther. I think you'll relate to it. We're going to take a hero's journey that God has for each one of us. Now, it, it's a journey that may have been buried by, by uh, life. It may have been buried by some disappointments, some near misses, but it's a journey that's never too late to start. So let's start it. Can we do that? Here's what I'm going to do. This week, I want to cover about a chapter and a half. And I did want to just read the whole chapter and a half. I'm going to have you guys read it, and I want you to read along with us during the week. It's a great book. It's like, it's better than a movie. It's got intrigue, and it's got mystery, and it's got plot changes, and it's really, really pretty incredible. Uh, but what I want to do today is, rather than read the whole thing, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you the story, and hopefully in a way that you'll, you'll remember uh, the story of Esther. So I'll tell you the first chapter and a half. Here, here's what happened. The story begins with a party thrown by a king. The king's name was Xerxes. Can you say Xerxes? And it was quite a party. It was 180 days. How long is 180 days? Almost six months. It was a drinking party. For six months. It was like a, a six-month tailgater, you know, where South Carolina still beats Clemson at the end of it. But it's a, it's a tailgater. <laughs> I should have said that. And, he, and, and this is strictly now the six-month party. It's a drinking and, and feasting party. Uh, he only invites um, members of the government. We, we probably paid for it, but it's just members of the government. And... It's all about him. It's all about showing off all his gold, all his wealth, all this kind of stuff, and drinking. And they drink and drink and drink. And finally, at the end of that, he opens it up and says, this is such a great idea. Let's open it up to everybody. And so for seven days, they have just this huge, again, drinking party for the common man. And it even says that they lifted all um, limits on how much you can drink. Uh, there, there was no cover charge. There was no two-drink you know, maximum, there was nothing like that. Just everybody, everybody drinks. It's, you can tell where this is going. This is not going to end well. Uh, in the midst of that seven days, actually the six months and seven days, the king uh, Xerxes and some of his buddies get a great idea. They think it's a great idea. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you in a previous life during a bit of uh, alcohol consumption had an idea that probably wasn't very good? Anybody, anybody ever had that? So they have one of those. And, he, and here's what it is. Him and his buddies, listen to this. The guys are drinking in one place. The girls are drinking in another place. And him and his buddies decide, wouldn't it be a great idea if the queen, whose name was Vashti, if Queen Vashti would come over and dance for the guys wearing basically her crown? And that's all. This is a great idea, guys. I wonder who thought that up. 
Well, Vashti says, you know, uh, not so much. I don't think I'm going to do that. No. Well, this caused a great crisis in the kingdom because the queen can't tell the king no. And so suddenly he sobers up and he has a cabinet meeting uh, and he gets the guys together and he tells them what happened. And they said, oh, this is bad because if you allow this to go on, our wives will do the same thing. They will say no to our great ideas. And we can't have this. Seriously, you read it. That's what it says. And so you've got to banish the queen. And so he does. He just gets rid of her. We don't know where he, she just throws her you know, out of the kingdom or whether she dies, it doesn't really say, but he gets rid of the, the queen. Um, solution, right? Then there was the morning after. How many of you have had morning afters where something that seemed like a great idea the night before just isn't resonating real well that particular day? And he has one of those. He's kind of got a little bit of a hangover, probably a big hangover, six months, seven days of drinking, bad idea, bad choice feeling bad. He's thinking about Vashti. He actually liked Vashti, and it was a stupid idea to ask her to do what he did, but he went ahead and he banished her. Now, what's he going to do? He's depressed. He's discouraged. So one of his guys has another idea. Listen to this one. He says, let's do this. Let's have a contest to see who will be the next queen. Let's call it the Persian Bachelor, and here's what we'll do. (laughs) We'll round up all of the attractive women in the kingdom, okay? And then we'll give them all, a, you know, a makeover and all this kind of stuff. And then we'll parade them before the king in various levels of undress. Uh, then they'll have some romantic dates. And uh, they'll do a little hot tubbing and some long sloppy kisses with camera angles that are just kind of soft and the music and all of this. And, and then he'll hop in bed with them and he'll choose one and uh, he'll give her a rose. And she'll be the new queen. I know it sounds barbaric, but it actually happened. I hate that show. I hate that show. And it has its roots in Esther chapter 1. So, here's what happened. So there's this Jewish guy that's living in the kingdom at that particular point. It's, it's Persia. Um, if you know a little bit of the history, uh, God had established a people. David established a city, Jerusalem. Solomon established a place to worship in the temple. And God established a covenant with his people and reestablished it from Abraham on. And he said, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. You obey me. Um, I will bless you. You'll be walking in favor. By the way, next week we're going to talk about how to walk in favor, okay, because that's one of the things that happened with Esther. But the, uh, you'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be the leaders and not the followers. And it was great for a little while. And then the people rebelled. And so they were taken away in captivity. A Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar tore down their temple and their walls and all of this. And then Cyrus, who was a great Babylonian king, and by the way, um, not Babylonian, he was a Persian king. The Babylonian king was Nebuchadnezzar, which is current-day Iraq. The Persian king was Cyrus, which is current-day Iran. They've been fighting for a long time. And this guy, Xerxes, oh, not this guy, but Xerxes, um, was Cyrus's grandson. And so there were some Jews that were still left in Persia, and Mordecai was one of those. Just so happened that he had a very beautiful cousin, and her name was Hadassah. Can you say Hadassah? 
Hadassah would soon become Esther, this beautiful young girl. Um, her, her parents apparently had died. She's orphaned, and she's living now with Mordecai. So here comes this contest. And so they rounded up all of the beautiful young women, and one of those happened to be Hadassah, who was soon to be called Esther. And let's read the scripture about what it says about her. Esther 2 and verse 17. And now the king was attracted to Esther. The king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. And so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen. Um, instead, here she is. She's the queen of hearts. Instead of, instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, and Esther's banquet, for all of his nobles and officials, and he proclaimed a holiday throughout all the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. And so she wins. And as a prize, she gets to marry the narcissistic, powerful, wife-abusing, and sometimes drunken, lecherous king of Persia, the bachelor. And she becomes the new queen of hearts. Now, her cousin, what was his name? Mordecai tells her, you've got to keep a secret. You can't tell anybody that you're Jewish. That will be a career ender. In fact, probably a life ender. And so the queen takes her place, secretly a Jewish young girl who's now the queen of Persia. And what she doesn't know is that God has orchestrated this messy circumstance that she finds herself in so that she will be in the right place at the right time when God has a plan for her life to be a hero, a hero's journey to save her people. And so what I want to do is I want to talk for a few minutes today about that part of the story, some lessons from a kind of a reluctant hero, okay? So here they are. The first one is this. Esther reminds us that life is all often messier than we thought it would be. Any testimonies that, would you say your life has been a little messier than you thought it would be back when you were like a little bit younger? Anybody? You know, I, I love my life, at least most days, but I certainly did not anticipate the journey. See, when I was a boy dreaming about the future, there were a few things I didn't anticipate. I thought my friends and my family would live forever. I thought that my future would include stints in both the NBA and on the cover of the Rolling Stone. I thought that most of my dreams would come true and that people lived happily ever after in relatively uncomplicated lives. That's what I thought. See, I didn't anticipate that the first best friend I ever had, a guy named Gail, I met him when I was in about the third grade. We started going to church together. We became close, close friends. We started a band together. Uh, We... Uh, graduated from school together. We were the best man in each other's uh, weddings. And I, 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 I didn't anticipate that he would become uh, an alcoholic and would hide his addiction and would end up taking his own life in a car wreck. I didn't anticipate that. I didn't anticipate that my mother uh, would die at 54 years old and never really get to know my family that I share with all of my friends on Facebook. I didn't know that. I didn't know that 
I would get fired in my first three jobs in ministry. <laughs> Had no idea. One of them was my dad. That's how it goes. I didn't anticipate that Debbie and I would have fertility issues that would claim two children in the womb. And the weeks and months of grief that came from that. I didn't anticipate how hard it would be to raise teenagers. Four of them all at the same time. You know, don't tell me your problem. (laughs) I didn't anticipate the frustrating arguments that I would have with the girl that I fell in love with. That would sometimes last hours and days and occasionally weeks. I didn't anticipate the financial downturn a couple of years ago that impacted so many of my friends here in this church. I didn't anticipate that the best friend later in life, in ministry, dying of cancer at 61 years old when we had this dream of planting churches all around the world. I certainly didn't anticipate the new aches and pains that greet me every morning after I turned 50. Brand new ones. I mean, we've got a couple of our, uh, one of our children's families is living with us right now while they're building a house. Pray that it happens quickly. And uh, actually, we're having a great time. And, and uh, who made the rule that only one family could live in a house at a time, you know? And, and uh, we've got our twins, twin girls, and four, four years old. And Rylan, she kind of likes Papa, and she follows me around a little bit. And I've developed a kind of a severe case of plantar fasciitis. Anybody had that? It's just lovely. I mean, your heels feel like they're, uh, there are knives in them all the time. And especially when you lay down for any period of time and you stand up, and it's just like, well, it's interesting. And so um, I was laying down, and I stood up, and I kind of walked like, well, I'm not going to tell you how I walked, but uh, Rylan looks at me. She says, Papa, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm getting old. Get out of here. You know, it's just part of the problem. I didn't anticipate this. See, these aren't the pictures that we post on Facebook, are they? Jesus told us that that we would face times like this. In fact, Jesus sat down with his disciples in kind of a last uh, meal with them. And one of the things he said in John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you may have trouble or it's possible there'll be some trouble. He said, you will have trouble. There are going to be some things that you didn't anticipate. It's going to be messier than you thought it would be. But then he says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that's good news, and that's news that gives me hope. But you know what? There's like always a gap between you will have trouble and I have overcome. And a lot of times we have to live in that messy gap. See, your story may include things like a difficult relationship with a parent or a roommate. It may include a divorce that you never anticipated. It may include financial pressure or bankruptcy that wasn't in the plan. It may include questions that you have about the love of God or whether God even exists. It may include a job or a boss that frustrates you more often than you'd like or even an addiction that, like my friend, you're ashamed to admit that you have. And when you look at other people's stories on Instagram or Facebook, you say, I wish I had their lives. But the truth is, all of our lives are messy at times. Esther reminds us of that. See, she couldn't have anticipated that she would be born into a Jewish home in exile, living, never being truly accepted in the culture because of her racial makeup. Nothing that she did just because of who she was and what family she was born to. 
She couldn't have anticipated her parents dying at a young age, being adopted into her cousin's family. She couldn't have anticipated being chosen because of her beauty to be the object of a powerful and perverted man's sexual fantasy. Probably having to compromise her deeply kept values. You talk about messy. That was interesting to me is that in researching this story, some religious scholars like to keep things really, really clean. And so they're kind of explaining what went on with Esther and that, you know, Esther probably didn't eat the food at the king's table. She was probably like Daniel and kept herself pure in that way. And she certainly wouldn't have slept with him until she was married to him and he became Jewish. I was like, really? Is is that the same story that I read? She didn't want to do that. Some of it was forced on her. Some of it was because of the situation that women found themselves at that particular time in history. The truth is always messier. She had her name changed from Hadassah, which meant pleasant fragrance of a myrtle tree, to Esther, which meant hidden. And she had this secret that she had to keep hidden. If she revealed it, it would cost her life. She probably didn't anticipate that one day she'd have to stand up and make a choice, and we'll talk about that because it's the center point of this book, a choice that could cost her her life and maybe rescue her people. See, your life may be messier right now than you'd like it to be. Some of it may be the results of your own choices. How of you know, sometimes we have to pay stupid tax. Are you aware of that? But some of it may be the choices of other people. Either way, good news. Here's the next thing we learn about Esther. Esther reminds us that there's an unlikely hero inside of each of us. See, later in the story, she does something heroic, out of character, that saves her people from destruction. Almost by coincidence, she seems to be at the right place at the right time. See, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. I believe that God orders our lives. I believe that God planned in advance for you just like he planned for Esther. That, God, that, that it wasn't a surprise to God that here's this beautiful young woman living at this particular time that steps up at some point courageously and becomes a hero. Because how many of you know it's real hard to surprise an omni- omniscient God? And so I believe that God has planned for you. In fact, an incredible scripture is uh, on your outline, Acts chapter 17 and uh, verse Uh, 26 and 27. Let's read it out loud here and in the campuses. Can we read it? God began by making one person, and from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. God decided exactly when and where they must live. God wanted them to look for him and perhaps search all around for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. This is kind of the story of man condensed into two verses. It said God created man and from him came all the men and women in the world. And God established and ordained where they would live. He knew where you would live. He knew where you would work. He knew who your neighbors would be. He knew who your co-workers would be. Why? For a purpose so that in the circumstances and in the relationships that somehow they would point you to finding God. See, there are no coincidences. You're here this morning, and it's not by coincidence. God knew that you would be here from the foundations of the earth so that you would be quiet long enough to know that God loves you 
and he cares for you. And he's drawn you. He's used people at work, either in negative ways or positive ways, to point you to him so that, that you could find him, and not just find him for your own benefit, but so that he could work through you in the redemption story that he has. You are a hero. There, there is a hero wrapped up inside of you. You are important to God's plan for eternity. He wants to work through you to make the world a better place. He wants to work through you to touch other people. He has a plan. He has a hero's journey for you. And when we think of heroes, we always think of somebody else. I'm not a hero. You know, if you'll, uh, if you'll uh, watch stories, and they, and they come up all the time, the, the news media and on Facebook and what have you, um, somebody will step into a situation and they'll call him a hero and they'll interview him and they'll say, well, I wanted, wasn't a hero. I was just the right time at the right place. And there's, there's some truth to that. But a true hero is someone who shows great courage by doing what is right even when they're scared to death. See, it's not enough to be at the right place at the right time. We're going to find out a little bit later with Esther. She has to make a choice to run into her fear, to run against what what is holding her back. See, I've met a lot of heroes in my time. A hero is a young man or a woman who chooses to serve to defend our country, who runs into enemy fire, in defense of their friends, their nation. There are heroes who are students who stand up to a bully for the benefit of somebody else. There's students who go for good grades even when the the peer group around them thinks that's not cool. That's a hero. It's a high schooler who leads a kid's Bible study even when (laughs) they don't know if they're qualified or, or if anybody will listen to them. A hero is a single woman who says no because she is true to her values rather than caving in to someone else's. A hero is a single parent who accepts responsibility to do the job that was designed for two even when they feel like just giving up and quitting. You're my hero. A hero is a, is a spouse who chooses to stay and care for an ailing loved one in sickness and in health. That's a hero. A hero is, is, a, is a mentor who steps up and says, you know what, I'll be a mentor in a kid's life. All they need is someone who, who helps them to hear the voice of more in a society where all they hear is less, less, less. That's a hero to me, especially when you don't know if you can do it, and a little bit nervous about your ability. A hero is a neighbor, recognizing that God knows where they live. God has placed them to do, be there to do more than and just, you know, be a part of the neighborhood society or whatever it is. And so they prayer walk the neighborhood and ask God, God, would you bring people out of this neighborhood into you so that they can experience your life? And maybe they even start a group wondering if anybody would even come. That's a hero to me. Or a hero is a friend that invites another friend to come to church and hear a life-giving message that praying that maybe their life would be changed. Fearing maybe a rejection, but going ahead and doing the right thing. See, heroes are everywhere. God has planted them there. Heroes usually emerge from messy circumstances. Esther's circumstances uh, weren't conducive to, to what uh, she would want to do, but, you know, oftentimes that, that's what it takes to, to, to prove a hero or for a hero to emerge. Here's the third thing that I know. 
is that Esther reminds us that God is at work even when we don't see him. You know, there are times that we don't see evidence of God. We wonder, God, are you there? And Esther proves that he is, and he's at work. Did you know that Esther is the only book in the Bible where there's no mention of God? You read it through. There is no mention of God in the book of Esther. In fact, there's no showy miracles. There's no body who is raised from the dead. There's no parting of the sea. There's nobody that walks on water. There's no angry prophets hanging out in the belly of a fish. There's none of that stuff. It's just a book with ordinary, average people trying to get by. I know a lot of people who miss the supernatural looking for the spectacular. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't miss God's supernatural work in your life just because there's not something spectacular that's going on. In fact, God's apparent absence in Esther is one of the reasons that it's the most true-to-life Bible story that there is. Because while we don't see explicit evidence of God or, or uh, you know, prophets or whatever, what we do see are hints and shadows of God's work everywhere. We'll study that as we study the book. So wherever you are and whatever your circumstances right now, they may be very messy right now. God is at work. He understands your mess. Even when it's a mess of your own doing, that's when it's the hardest sometimes for us to call out to God or to see God because we feel like, man, I I did this. I made this choice. I chose this road. See, the Jews were in captivity because of their own sin. The reason that they weren't in Jerusalem wasn't God's fault. It was because they screwed up and continued to screw up, but God didn't just say, well, see you later. Have a nice life. God intervened. He went to great lengths to protect them. I love Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know. And we know. You need to know this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Everything, the good, the bad, the messy, the poor choices, the times when it wasn't your choice and you just find yourself in a situation that you would not have anticipated, wouldn't have dreamed, nor would you have chosen. And God says, I choose to turn those around and to work them for your good. He's at work in your heartache. He's at work in your pain. He's at work in the divorce that you didn't want. He's at work in the financial problems. He's at work in your health issues. He's at work in your cranky co-workers, praise God. He's at work in your demanding boss. He is at work, and most of all, he's at work in you. I love Philippians 1 and verse 6. Let's read this out loud together here and at the campuses. Can we do that? And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You know what that says? God is at work not only in your circumstances, but he's at work in you. If you have messy circumstances right now, God is creating a hero's journey inside of you. He's molding a hero for a journey for the benefit of those around you. So that's the story for this week. We'll tell you more of it next week. Here's what I want to ask you. Where's the towel? Maybe kind of put it away. It's something you dreamed of when you were a kid. Are you willing to kind of, whoa, that was pretty cool. (laughs) 
Are you willing to don the cape? To take the hero's journey? To dream again? Some of you haven't dreamed in a long time. Are you willing to say, God, I'm going to cooperate with you? I'm going to believe that you are in all my circumstances right now, that you are working for good. If that's true, you can have a good day tomorrow regardless of what the day brings. And not only that, you're working inside of me to complete the work that you began. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for the story of Esther. I thank you for the reality of it. I thank you for not cleaning it up so that I can relate to it. God, I thank you for this wonderful group of people gathered here today to hear from you. So God, in the next few minutes, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to us. That we would come to know you in the way that you desire for us to know you this weekend. Challenge us to greater things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.